0: Hey guys, welcome back or welcome for the first time to the I Am Salt Lake podcast. Today on episode 461, we got to talk to Julian Carr. Julian Carr is a professional skier, which is cool in and of itself, but he is a professional skier in cliff height jumping, dropping? Sounds What's good. What's the word? Close okay, enough. cool. Um, falling and not dying in big powder. Julian, this was so much fun. He is so cool to talk to. And uh, I loved listening to him talk about how, how he thinks and how his brain integrates different things. It's actually a brilliant
1: conversation. Hey, before we get into that conversation, let's introduce ourselves.
0: Let's do it. My
1: name is Chris Hollifield, And my name's Chrissy Hollifield. Hey, if this is your first time joining us for the podcast, like Chrissy said, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. You might be asking, though, what is this podcast all about? What am I about to listen to? Well, this podcast is all about showcasing awesome people right here in Salt Lake City. We're talking to business owners, authors, tattoo artists, restaurant owners, breweries, professional skiers, really anyone that might have a cool story to share. And I have a cool story to share. What's that?
0: It's your birthday. Literally, today is your and birthday. And I told you
1: not to say anything.
0: Yeah, but I'm really bad at that. I t- We went out for steaks last night, and I forgot that you don't like to be the center of attention. And I was <laughs> like, hey, everybody, it's his birthday. And then and then they the almost, was so nice. They
1: almost sang to me.
0: She She came over and she said, do you want free cake? And you're like, no, I'm good. And then she's like, "Do you want us to sing to you?" And you're like, "No, I'm good."
1: So there's a tip for people listening: always ask. Yes. If you can sing "Happy Birthday," to not somebody. everyone's
0: insane like Chrissy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but Happy Birthday! I'm just I just want to tell you that I love you.
1: Oh, well, thank and, you. And uh, it's yeah. been it's been an awesome 43 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've only been around for the last five, but I'm, I'm game. I like it. (laughs) Hey, can we talk about my favorite coffee though? Of course. Oh good. Because I love Hugo coffee. Hugo coffee are sponsors of our podcast and they're literally our personal friends and I can't get enough of them. Hugo coffee roasters is all about saving dogs. One bag of coffee at a time. 10% of their net profits go to dog rescue organizations to provide shelter, beds, veterinary care, and toys. Also, they can be happy and healthy until they get adopted.
1: Hugo Coffee is a craft coffee roastery based right out of Park City, Utah. And what's really cool is that their head roaster, John, selects the highest quality beans with a rich flavor profile for a wide range of roasts from light to dark and even an espresso roast. Their website, this one's really easy to remember. It's just hugo.coffee. Go check it out. Go check out all out all the different coffee that they have available. I am Salt Lake Podcast listeners. We created a special promo code just for you. Enter the promo code podcast. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T when you're at checkout. And what happens is you get buy one bag, get the second bag 50% off with free shipping. This is a great Christmas gift. I mean, just send it right to their house. Two bags of coffee to someone's house. Boom.
0: Do it. Just do it. Save puppies, get great coffee and share great coffee with the friends that you love. Again, their website is hugo.coffee. Go check out the Black Paw French Roast, Bonafido Dark Roast, Rollover Breakfast Blend, Dog Days Cold Brew, or maybe even the Howler Espresso. Aren't those it. names so cute? I love I love them. I can't even I can't even get through listing those names without smiling like crazy. Remember to use the promo code podcast And you get yourself the exclusive buy one, get the second bag, 50% off with free shipping just for I Am Salt Lake podcast listeners and your
1: friends. All right. Here's that conversation that we had with Julian Carr. This guy's awesome. You're going to love listening to this one. Thank you so much and enjoy the conversation.
2: I got a I got a beer and a water right here and some uh, a cheese board. I'm ready to roll. Nice,
0: double fist. He's got a, he's
1: got a cheese board, man. He, like, you okay. and Chrissy, like Chrissy has this cheese platter that she pulls out every night and yes. just like grazes Look, it's on it.
0: Delicious. <laughs> my,
1: my people, my people.
0: See, I was like, man, that sounds better than what I have. Water and Junior Mints. I need to That's step my bad. my podcast food <laughs> game up.
2: You guys need to put just a big old charcuterie board right between, you know, the mics. And I think you guys will, uh, I don't know, questions could just get way better. Who knows?
1: (laughs) So let's go back, man. I want to start right into like what or who got you interested in skiing. And that's probably like a really big question or a loaded question. There might not be one answer for that. Sure, Uh, sure. Or or maybe there is. I don't know. You tell me.
2: So I'm born and raised in Salt Lake and I grew up in the avenues, and um, obviously, I was aware of the mountains. I went camping in the Uenas. I went to southern Utah a lot, Um, but I did not ski or snowboard. I grew up skateboarding, gymnastics, and lots of team sports, and I I had the trampoline in my backyard, and I was just like kind of all over the place, but I loved – the foam pit and gymnastics. Like I would always like climb into the rafters, jump from the trampoline into it. I was just all day in the foam pit. I spent, I can't even imagine how many hours on my trampoline in my backyard. And so in fifth grade, I tried snowboarding and crashed super hard. My very first run twisted up my knee and, uh, didn't, touch snow again until eighth grade. My mom skied and she kept telling me I needed to come ski with her because she went on the weekends with her girlfriends. And I finally went kind of just to like, you know, make my mom stoked just to go do something with her. And immediately just fell in love with skiing, kind of clicked for me. And I just fell in love with it day one and very quickly experienced, you know, the, the magic of Utah powder. And instantly you know easily associated that powder with foam pits and that's kind of been my perspective uh, ever since that first year when I first started learning and I just tried to find jumps into powder and I looked at you know the mountains as just a bigger version of a foam pit and that kind of perspective has just never changed and living in Utah I've had the you know opportunity and I'm grateful that I've been able to travel the world uh, the last you know 10-15 years of my ski career and it's the truth like our snow our mountains the wasatch the dry desert pow and how it comes down you know 500 inches annually it is the world's best snow so falling into that in eighth grade and and in high school and having a ton of big winters those first formative years of my skiing um, really let me take that kind of foam pit (laughs) approach easily because there's so much snow so I thank my mom for taking me, and I obviously am stoked that I had a lot of um, fun with a lots of skateboarding to appreciate, you know, how skaters put lines together, and that's how I looked at the mountains. I'm like, I'm going to put lines together. I'm going to find jump to jump to jump to cliff to jump, and just try to put lines together through pow on foam pits in the mountains on skis. <laughs>
0: Okay. I'm loving this. Can I ask a question? Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay. This, this is just, this is the best, how you have actually like incorporated different parts of things that you've loved in your life into skiing that I never would have put together. I don't know. Is that something that anyone else has ever said? Like, or is that I've not, cause I, okay, I don't ski. I don't really talk to skiers much, but I think it's really cool that you've kind of connected all of those things.
2: Well, thanks. I think, uh, you know the ski the ski scene has definitely matured and gotten a lot of uh, i guess you could say personality over the last 10 15 years but <clears throat> 15 years ago it was kind of stale there was a lot of racing and corporations that kind of led the uh the charge i guess you could say whereas you look at snowboard and skateboarding those industries are very you know led by individuals and a lot of individuals are showcased and Um, It's kind of like a self-policed industry to a point. And a lot of that exists now in skiing, but back then it really didn't. I was definitely an outlier of, uh, you know, basically teaching myself how to ski, just trying to keep up with the friends that I'd made that were great skiers I've been skiing their whole life. And obviously, like I said, taking a different kind of inspiration route. I wasn't a racer. I wasn't, you know, a mogul skier. I wasn't Formed by all these traditional routes that most skiers uh, had kind of pursued that fell in love with it as much as I did. Um, But I grew up, like I said, watching skate videos and just try to put lines together. And uh, I think it is unique. And I'm definitely stoked on that background and just followed my own little weird vision I had right out of the gate with what I saw skiing as and how I identified with it, because I certainly didn't realize that not that many people had that perspective. I assumed everybody was looking for jumps and big cliffs and putting lines together like that. Um, and I fa- quickly realized that it was a pretty small group of people and it's been fun to make lots of friends and have amazing peers that uh, we've gravitated towards each other. And now that scene is definitely, like I said, matured and flourished and there's a lot of cool things happening, but I look back and yeah, it was definitely uh, <laughs> must've been one of the only kids and, eighth and ninth grade doing what we were doing. There definitely wasn't many.
1: So have you gotten back out and tried snowboarding again? You mentioned how you like tried it and twisted your ankles up or something like that. I'm wondering if you got back out after a few years.
2: Definitely. I try to go uh, a few times a winter. I still skate a lot in Salt Lake. I love bombing from up by Red Butte to downtown, just through the university, of Utah campus down first South or South temple and end up down at crown burger. we just do laps. And then, on a snowboard, man, like sunny spring laps at Brighton or Snowbird is so fun because I just feels like I'm, you know, cruising through town like I do usually through campus uh, at the U.
1: What do you like better? I mean, I guess it's kind of a tough question because, of course, I guess you like skiing better because that's your profession.
0: You ever want to just yeah, do you snowboard? ever just want
1: to just snowboard or something? Or do you ever just want to like, <laughs> well, ditch the like, skis or
0: something?
2: Well, yeah, like take a break. I've, I've completely fell in love with skateboarding ever since I was like in second grade or two years old really. Um, I was butt boarding and you know, trying to navigate all those crazy avenue hills and got the hang of it. And uh, that's all that I did. That would make you get the for, hang like, of it. Six, Holy seven cow. seventh grade. Yeah. And from falling in love so much with skating – That first day I tried snowboarding, I know if I wouldn't have gotten hurt that day, um, I twisted my knee and got like crutches in fifth grade. I had the elevator to, uh, or a key to the elevator at Wasatch Elementary. So I thought it was pretty cool for (laughs) a few months. But it's interesting because looking back, I know if I wouldn't have gotten hurt that first day snowboarding, I know for a fact I would have never skied for sure. But it's cool because I love skiing. I feel so at home on skis. And it's such a, you know, thing I'm grateful for that uh, I did get hurt snowboarding that day because skiing has gave me such an opportunity to travel and, and make so many amazing friends all over the world. And I truly love it. And I think, you know, I obviously will always love skateboarding. And for whatever reason, I found a nice little niche and a good little talent that I've been able to, uh, nurture and skiing and, you know, skateboarding is hard. I think oh, if yeah. I could choose anything I could be professional at, and I definitely think skateboarders are the best athletes in the world and what the top level professional skateboarders are doing, they're just, they're Yoda, you know? And so I think that if I could choose anything, obviously I'd be a professional skateboarder, but I'm super happy. Everything's worked out being a professional skier.
1: You mentioned uh, how if you would have uh, continued snowboarding, you probably would have never picked up skiing, so on and so forth there. I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on what you would be doing today if you wouldn't be skiing? Do you have like any thoughts of what what you, what you direction you could have gone with your life?
2: Um, I mean, I love business and I've started a couple of businesses, but I guess we can get into that. But I think I just love being creative and I love being outside. Um, so I think, you know, I would have meshed some kind of, I think, interesting path. <laughs> uh, Cause I, I get, I very, I get, always get curious in things. And typically when I get really curious about stuff, somehow I end up finding a way to uh, get others involved, monetize it and kind of share and build a community around it. And I think that's, what's so cool about, you know, tying it back into Utah here is that there's so much to do in Salt Lake you know, all four seasons that it really is an interesting mountain community that lives in the Salt Lake Valley for kind of all the stereotypes we have from all over the nation. When you tell people you live here, it's so funny, obviously the things you encounter, which I'm grateful for, because if people knew how good it was here, we'd be another Denver. So I'm I'm super happy that we have weird alcohol laws. I'm super happy that obviously there's a lot of the LDS you know, religion is around, which of course, I'm friends with a lot of those people. I think they're great. But obviously, so many people think it's just a strange, strange town. But with this kind of undercurrent of amazing mountain people, there's such a community here. And it's really fun to obviously have fun activities that I've been able to, you know, build these communities uh, all four seasons, really, and just get to know so many unique people that live here that are World-class mountain people and just all the enthusiasts and people that are just stoked to be weekend warriors and everything in between. I just love the inclusivity of the Wasatch and the Valley and how diverse it is, really, in having a world-class city right next to truly world-class mountains.
1: All right, we're gonna take just a moment and tell you about one of our awesome sponsors, Arc Insurance. Health insurance open enrollment is going on right now, and it ends December 15th. That means that you literally have just days to make any changes to your health insurance coverage for next year. Or you can get enrolled in health insurance if you don't currently have any coverage. Did you know that you can get the help of a health insurance broker at no cost to you? Arc Insurance is based right here in Utah, and they can help. They are experienced
0: agents who will help you compare health insurance plans and get you enrolled in one that best fits your needs and budget. There's not much time, so it's important to get on an ARK agent's calendar right away. To make an appointment today, visit arcutah.com. That's A-R-K-Utah.com. Or call
1: 801-901-7800. I picked up on when you were talking about how, you know, how you want to, uh, you know, keep our little weird liquor laws and mm-hmm. you don't want to yeah. turn us into Denver and all this and that. And it's it's tough because I think we slowly are, well, pretty quickly are. And I'm wondering what it's been like for you to see the ski resorts from, I mean, I don't know. Did you mention how early you started skiing? You mentioned uh, about, you, about how old you were. You were eighth grade? Eighth yeah. grade or something like that to now. I mean, I'm sure the ski resorts are just insanely packed now. Is it even as nice and as fun to go out skiing as it was when you were in the eighth grade. Cause the mountains just must be packed now.
2: Well, that's another thing that I'm grateful for having the, uh, you know, the mileage and the, I guess, insight and the knowledge of how to, you know, basically navigate those busy days so that I don't encounter any of that riffraff. So I just know which road to drive on, when to, when to wake up, where to hike to, so that I'm kind of two steps ahead of everyone the entire day.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, dig yeah. I dig it. I dig it. It makes sense. You, you get to know the routines if you go often enough.
2: But to your point, 10 years ago, you could get up casually on a powder day, at 8 a.m., drink your coffee and head up any of the Cottonwood Canyons, find a parking spot and have a great pow day and drive down the canyon And not really have any issues these days. If you aren't, you know, basically heading up to the canyon by 7 a.m., you will wait in a huge line. And if you get up there and you're lucky enough to get a parking spot, and you're gonna, you know, be in some serious lines a little bit. um, And even if you know, you know, which chairlifts maybe you should be getting on that aren't as bad, you can still have a great day. But you're not gonna have nearly what you had 10 years ago, and you're gonna have to deal with some insane traffic on the way down. And I've heard of, and you know, I've had to sit in a couple of times, but it's you know, a few hours just to get down Little or Big Cottonwood Canyon. So I know that Save Our Canyons and Wasatch Backcountry Alliance are definitely, you know, paying attention and auditing all these options at the Forest Service and uh, you know, kind of all the major players involved that. Uh, those canyons are going to obviously see some major, you know, efficiencies uh, impl- implemented over the next few years. And I'm glad that those watchdogs are certainly being a part of that conversation because it's such a beautiful canyon that we need to leave untouched because that's one of the reasons why people move to Utah is because we have beautiful, beautiful public lands. So I feel like it's very important to keep a lot of them public and at the same time, try to understand how we can solve these, uh, major, major congestion issues.
1: You probably get a travel though, quite a bit. Like you, well, you were, you were mentioning that in the beginning. So like during the ski season, you're probably not even skiing very often here in Utah. Are you?
2: So yeah, the last few years, I've definitely spent more time away from Utah than in it. Two winters ago, I was on the road four months straight. I didn't even come home like in between trips. Wow. But, when I'm out, like last year, I purposely made sure that I had, you know, a week home in between trips because I love it here and I miss it when I'm not here. So that winter two years ago when I was gone for four months straight, man, I I, I just, it hit me hard that I missed Utah a lot because I realized all the last 10 years of, uh, traveling, I always, you know, came home in between trips and was able to get my fill. So when I didn't, man, it was, it was a huge, huge void that, uh, I was like, man, I I love Utah skiing. It's, it's the best.
1: Do you still, do you still get out to ski with your mom at all? or Does she ski at all?
2: She lives in Portland, Oregon. She had a, a knee replacement, so I haven't skied with her and probably 10, 15 years, I wish that I could ski there more. But I get out to Portland a lot. And my sister lives out there Has a couple kids. So I got to go hang with the crew out there in
1: Portland. What do they think of like you being a professional skier and some of the crazy stuff that you do while you ski? Especially your mom is that she showed you how <laughs> does to. She,
0: does she like take you around town? This is my <laughs> son.
1: <laughs> no, she's probably like, gosh, why this did I show think... it to him? Why did I show him how to ski?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, she struggled with all of it kind of when it was all getting going then i started uh falling in love with the cliff stuff and then after a couple of years she really sat me down and was like hey do you love what you do and i was like i do mom i, I really i love it and uh she's like okay she's like i i can make peace with that
0: <laughs>
1: that's cool
2: well
0: that's good that's that's good that is hard i can imagine as a mom it would be really difficult to see your son go into something that could potentially be very dangerous any
1: do you have any siblings
2: Yeah. I have a sister and she, Oh yeah. So you
1: mentioned sister. Yeah. yeah.
2: She's amazing. She doesn't ski, but, uh, she's kind of, you know, through our whole childhood for whatever reason, which I respect her for, but she was kind of always the type that would dip her toe before she would, uh, you know, engage in, in whatever. And I was kind of always more like, I'm going to have a look and then I'm going to jump right in. And so we, we definitely are different in a lot of ways, but She went skydiving a few years ago, which I've never done, and so she holds that over my head. So I was actually shocked that she went skydiving because, like I said, that was way out of her uh, kind of personality history.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Good for her. Now, how does one become a professional skier, right? Like how did that happen for you? I mean, did I you have, have did say, you have jobs prior to this?
0: I do have to say that I like that skiing seems like it, your plan B, like skateboarding's number one, but it's okay. You're a professional skier.
2: <laughs> well, like I said, I, I admire the immense talent um, and creativity that goes into skateboarding. And I think the individuals that... Are at the top of that sport, like I said, are just unbelievable athletes. I think it's the hardest sport in the world, hands down. But um yeah, I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful sport. Um, you're just like full on samurai with your feet. It's crazy how much technical precision, balls, creativity, like it's so cool. It's a cool sport. But with skiing, um, I think it's been uh it's been a interesting path. Uh when I got into it in high school, I was going like 30, 40 times a year and definitely was loving it. And then senior in high school, freshman in college, I you know, was buying up all the magazines, watching all the movies that were coming out. And all I could think of, obviously, besides thinking it was rad, but I was like, I can definitely do all that. That's all I kept thinking. It was like, I can do all this. And so... I started to kind of just look at it from a, well, how do you get into that? How do you do that? Because I can obviously do those things, I think. Now, how did these guys get that opportunity? And I need to create that for myself. And I think that right away, I started to understand the business side of it and really was able to optimize it and understand that platform right out of the gate. And I think that, in any professional athletic pursuit, I think there's a lot of really talented athletes in a lot of sports that come along that are just so noteworthy that they obviously make a big imprint on that sport that maybe is short lived because they don't care or you know don't have the skills or, or know how to be you know professionally uh, dialed um, because you, to have longevity as a professional athlete in these action sports, if you're not really a contest skier, you need to, and even if you are, you need to understand that you're a storyteller for these brands and you need to be able to exist in like all the traditional marketing platforms and create your own. Obviously these days, uh, with all the stuff going on with the internet, and social media. So I just understood what the traditional platforms are, which are movies and magazines and contests and was able to. You know, obviously, make friends with lots of amazing, you know, very established photographers because obviously it's an epicenter here in Salt Lake. Um, some of like the WalMarts of ski photographers and film companies are based out of here. Um, and right away, I was like, I looked at it as like distribution. Those are like major, major distributors, and obviously they're guys that spend their time in the mountains too. And the more I got to know them, they've just became good friends. But I think that's what has given me a lot of uh, shelf life as an athlete is that I've enjoyed the professional side of it. And so that's why I think I've stuck around for so long instead of making just an imprint for a few years like a lot of people do and then kind of fade away because I really took ownership on understanding that professional side of it to make sure that I was doing a great job for all the brands that I've represented and, and continue to do that.
0: That's a really powerful thing that I think not a lot of people consider when they want to go into something that it can really benefit you to try to fall in love with every aspect of of the industry, including the whole business side, because that's where you make money. Yeah. And and it's it's highly unusual. So it's like, it's a really neat perspective to hear.
2: Yeah. Well, that's a lot of people ask me, they're like, so how does it work? How, how are you a professional skier, you know? And... Basically, I just look at it as it's my job to, you know, overuse the word storytell, but you know, I need to obviously ski well and get integrated with movies, magazines, TV shows, podcasts, webcasts, social media, all those things and produce, get plugged in, everything. You just have to learn how to. Basically, be very good with logistics and how to schedule, and how to obviously, once you do get plugged in, deliver. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're traveling around all over the world with small groups of people. So you need to, you know, <laughs> not suck to travel with. Cause I've heard <laughs> obviously other guys too that maybe understood the business side and they're a talented athlete. And then you hear, nightmares about how they suck to travel with and they'll never get called again because it's such a small amount of people that get to be at that kind of small table that there's constantly shuffling people not in it anymore and people being in let in and a lot of that is like i said your professionalism but also when you're traveling in the world of small, small groups of people you need to be be able to hang hang with the crew you know
0: yeah, it's like soft skills you have to be worth being around or fun to be around. Not fun. We can't always be fun. But if you're not pleasant, then someone who's talented is going to talented and pleasant will just step up.
2: Well, exactly, cuz if those guys that do produce and they have the budget and they have the relationships with the ski companies when it's time for them to call the athletes to go get on these productions, They're going to be like, oh, we're definitely calling whoever back. He was a blast to travel with and he killed it whenever we needed him. And he was professional during, you know, and after with all the follow-up and all the asset management um, and all the interviews and all that kind of stuff you have to conduct after the fact. There's just so much that goes into it. So, yeah, you get called back. (laughs) And if you suck to travel with or you're not professional, you don't get called back.
1: Makes sense to me. So where does Discreet Clothing come into all this? Uh, you just you, wanted
0: more business well, stuff I mean, to worry <laughs> about?
1: I, I didn't know if you started that to kind of help fund your ski hobby, but it sounded like maybe you became a professional skier before Discreet happened, right?
2: Yeah, I got my ski career going and right out of the gate, I saw kind of some of my heroes in the industry were getting older, I guess you could say, and kind of stumbling over their next play in life. So I saw, you know, some guys going back to school or, you know, starting a landscape company or window cleaning or or being bitter at the bar and just being like, wow, these are some of the biggest names in this sport and they're really struggling with their next, uh, you know, move in life because I think it came onto them, quicker than they probably anticipated. And next thing you know, you know, they don't have enough income uh, to live as they had from skiing for so many years. Um, But I was just shocked because there's some of the biggest names uh, that were really like having a hard time figuring out what to do next. And so right out of the gate, I was like, huh, I should create a company that, you know, I can have some awesome um, income by the time my shelf life is up as a professional athlete. So, that was the inspiration for discreet was just to create something that I could give life to simultaneously during my ski career. Um, so that I could, you know, like I said, have something going on that when, when the skiing shelf life obviously comes to an expiration, there's, you know, some kind of symmetry going on that I have a nice other path that I'm trying to develop as well.
1: Now I love your clothes. I mean, I've bought in a handful of them here and there, you know, you've been set up at uh, like the downtown farmer's markets and stuff. And I think even park silly through the the years, when did discreet start? What year was that approximately?
2: The very first year we made beanies was 2005. So that's like when I first came up with all the, the idea for it and started making uh, as much beanies as I could with the little bit of money that I had. Cause at the time I was just finishing college. So I was in school full time Um, I was working full-time at a sports bar in downtown Salt Lake at Gateway, the Skybox. And I was starting to, you know, create Discreet while chasing the ski career. So I kind of had four (laughs) busy little scenes going on all at once. But um, in 2008 was the first year we, like, went to a trade show. Um, So 2008 is kind of the first year, I say, that we uh, started.
1: And you must hire people to take care of most of discrete stuff, right? You're not trying to handle all that on your own, are you?
2: I did for four or five years. I've always had help, but uh, I was definitely okay. running the show for quite a while. Um, and it was great. I learned so much about business and how to multitask and uh, found a nice rhythm as far as traveling um, and maintaining you know, a, a completely separate professional life that just gave me more acumen to obviously implement in my ski career. So I learned so much tools, you could say, from the business side of things from Discreet. Uh, that it was kind of, they complemented each other. Um, and I made a lot of great decisions with, uh, with discrete, and I made a lot of bad decisions, but I also just never stopped learning. Um, and I always said that Creating your own business is just a never-ending equal of challenging and being rewarding. And it's been cool because five years ago, I started Cirque Series, Mountain Races. And everything that I've learned from a skier, from marketing and production, and then everything I've learned from discrete, from logistics, and just purely business side of things, I was able to bundle all of it into Cirque series and just out of the gate. I was like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know what my vision is and I know all the mechanics that go into this, this business. And it's been fun to create that business now, five years later and we're selling out all our races and again, amazing community and um able to put that race on in Alaska and Wyoming and Colorado and, and Utah and, um, it 's been fun to see that one take off without like I said not being just such a source of education I call discreet and obviously discreet is this cool little clothing company in the outdoor world, and i 'm proud of it, and I have an amazing crew that that runs that with me, and I can kind of steer ships with that program and i 'm really hands on with Cirque Series and my ski career now, so it 's you know just a fun layer to it all, but like I said, it was such an education. Um, and skiing was too, that I've been able to just funnel all of everything I've learned into doing Cirque Series right out of the gate.
1: We're going to take just a moment now and tell you about one of our awesome sponsors, utahmarijuana.org. I love these guys. utahmarijuana.org is your number one spot for all things medical marijuana, medical cannabis, CBD, and THC. You guys remember Tim Pickett from episode 420 when he came on and and talked to us about uh, all the cool things he's doing with utahmarijuana.org. Now is your opportunity to get your medical cannabis card. utahmarijuana.org's team of medical cannabis experts makes getting your medical card easy from your first office visit to navigating the state card application and beyond.
0: With over 20 compassionate and highly skilled qualified medical providers ready to help you find relief, you won't have to search for a doctor willing to recommend cannabis treatment. The patient experience team at utahmarijuana.org is dedicated to helping you get all the way through the process so you can get your medicine legally.
1: Hey, and if you're in the West Valley City area, they are located now at 3615 West, 1987 South, Building 8. So, depending on where you live in the valley, they have an office near you. Isn't it time that you took control of your own health? UtahMarijuana.org, and many thanks to UtahMarijuana.org for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Tell us, uh, so Cirque series. What is this like? A like a marathon or something that people can enter, or like a race or something?
2: Yeah, it's a foot race in the summers, and I do okay. them, um, you know, basically up like to a iconic peak and back down. So uh, we have races in Alyeska, Alaska, where we race up thirty nine hundred vertical feet in under six miles, uh, and it's oh, you know wow. exposed. It's technical. And it's a mountain adventure. And we do them at Brighton, Snowbird Alta, uh, Grand Targhee, Arapahoe Basin in Colorado up at 13,000 feet. And all of them are accessible. That's kind of like I was talking about earlier, with the inclusivity. All the races go up into the high alpine where I'm used to bootpacking and spending a lot of my winters way up there. So in the summers, I started hiking Mount Olympus a lot here in Salt Lake. And, you know, that's a major ass kicker uh, for the people that have hiked that you know that. And if you haven't, it's only a five mile hike and it has 4000 vert. And obviously, your the views are incredible. You get the most insane workout you've ever had. And on the way down, it's like crazy agility to, you know, I wouldn't call it running. I don't I don't call any of it running, but that's what Cirque series is. It's a trail running race series, but all of the races are up to an iconic peak like Mount Olympus as fast as you can and back down. And they're all under 10 miles. They're all around 3000 vert. And we get all walks of life. We've had ages eight through 82 plus Olympians and uh, professional runners. So we have kind of everyone there and everyone feels comfortable and it's equally challenging for everyone. And for me, it's like, let's bring a cool scene to it. Just like skiing, like let's have brands there. Let's have food. Let's have music. Let's have an announcer. Let's make it, you know, a party. So that's kind of how I've created those races so that we go up into the high Alpine, just like you do skiing, have a really challenging, fun time that doesn't destroy you like a ultra running does or a marathon. It's not super easy, like a 5k or 10k. And it's not, you know, dorky, like I'm going running and putting on my short shorts and running down the road and back. Like it's a mountain. It's ex- like experience. It's a rich mountain experience, just like I say, skiing and snowboarding is. And so I've been able to capture that and share it again, like how I said earlier, community. So it's been fun to like, uh, you know, provide that to beginners and to the elites all in one kind of umbrella.
1: That must keep you pretty busy in the off season from skiing. So you got the skiing in the winter and then that in the, in the summer. So keeps you, keeps keep you active.
2: Yeah. Well, it keeps me hiking in the mountains. And like I said, I just love being in the mountains. So it's, it's very, uh, again, I'm grateful that I've been able to monetize and share, uh, that love I have for being in the mountains year round. Uh, so that's what's super fun is that discreet is business. It's creative. Uh, you're part of that industry. You're part of the culture. And then skiing, obviously you're in, in the mountains, you're being athletic, Um, but it's kind of more my career, but then Cirque series, I feel like it's fun because I'm giving back and I'm able to share that love for the high Alpine that I get to experience as a skier, um, every year. And, uh, you know, we go up into the high Alpine that not that, you know, some people wouldn't even know where to start, how to access that kind of terrain. And then obviously to have our safety crews that we have at each race and our, our aid support. And just the, you know, all the protocols that we have in place to help people feel comfortable. It's really rewarding as a race director to see so many people go up into the high Alpine for their first time, really. And come down and they're just beaming with happiness. And to me, that just feels so fun for me to be able to share why I love being in the high Alpine mountains year year round. And so to see people get to experience that for their first time is just like unbelievable feeling to me as a, as a race director and just someone that loves being in the mountains just to be able to share that.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's, it's like you, you get to see them have this huge sense of accomplishment too, especially Absolutely. being able to experience that for the first time. And that's got to feel just incredible.
2: Oh, it's crazy. It's, it's such a cool feeling. It's when you're down on the finish line, cause I've, uh, I've ran every race so far and, uh, obviously it's a working lap. I'm kind of auditing to make sure our Uh, volunteers are where they should be. Our EMTs are where they should be. Our course marking looks good. The weather's doing okay. Like, you know, it's obviously a working lap, but when I get user
0: experience lap,
2: when I get into the finish line, I'm happy. I can see and feel just genuine happiness. And it's, it's a pretty magical feeling.
1: You know, I want, I know what I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you, can any of our listeners in the Salt Lake City area purchase any of the Discreet Clothing anywhere here locally, or is it all off uh, online?
2: Yeah, just discreetclothing.com. And if you live in Salt Lake, just in the notes on your order, you can just say that you'd like to come in and get it. And you can just cruise into our um, our showroom and our warehouse and pick up your order or just go in and browse stuff. Four years ago, we had a storefront. we were in you know rei zoomies um, backcountry.com and we had about 120 doors across the u.s plus 15 international distributors but there's so many moving parts to that aspect of the business and it was all wholesale and i was like you know what let's bring it all just to discreteclothing.com cut out all that absurd amount of moving parts of our entire wholesale business globally and let's just focus on our own website and our own web store. So, yeah, you can just go to discreetclothing.com and if you want to come in and grab it just to save on the shipping and obviously um the carbon imprint, that's that'd be awesome.
1: Very cool. Do you have like any um long-term plans with Discreet or anything like where do you see it in the next like 5 to 10 years? Like do you see it getting anything or just kind of staying or... where it's at?
2: It's an awesome vessel, I think that you know product and category expansion is is ripe. Um right now my mind is super comfortable with you know discrete being a really relevant, fun, cool, you know for the most part we're a known beanie brand in the in the snow industry and I'm just trying to be really proud of that. I think 5 years ago I had huge aspirations of uh, what I wanted discrete to be, and the kind of products that we I wanted discrete to have, and we dabbled a little bit in in a lot of that. And at the same time as when I started creating the Cirque Series races, and that's kind of where I'm seeing my focus on uh, expanding the the Cirque Series and just letting discrete be, and obviously still work hard at discrete being a cool beanie brand in the snow industry. But I'm just starting to be really proud of that. Cause I was always just like eye on the prize of bigger aspirations for discrete. But when I've been able to kind of reel reel it all back a little bit, I'm like, you know what? Man, I'm I'm pretty this is cool. Like, I can't even believe that I didn't take a freaking second to take a pause or to be content a little bit about what we've already created. We're a pretty cool beanie brand in the snow industry. Like that's pretty rad. Let let's be that. We don't need to keep looking down this like bigger horizon path that I think we all get caught up in, especially in business. And I'm like, let's just keep being that like, this is pretty cool in itself. And in the meantime, like I said, I'm really fired up on growing and optimizing uh, all things Cirque series.
1: It's good to keep your, you know, keep your eye on the prize, but also enjoy the ride while you go. Cause a lot of times, I mean, mm-hmm. I know I can be one to you know, Oh, I can't be happy until I, you know, get, get to where well, I it I'm is. Be happy. It
0: is hard to set a goal and incrementally work towards it because it can be grueling and exhausting and feel like a grind and you can overlook these huge accomplishments along the way. So it is cool to hear that you actually could sit back and enjoy some of your accomplishments while you're working towards your goal.
2: Yeah, totally. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I just, I love. <laughs> You're like, I love, yeah, I'm pretty cool. It all boils no down. No, it just boils down to, like I said, I love being in the mountains, and I feel so fortunate that I've been able to have kind of three career paths that all three of those, you know, are anchored in mountain culture.
1: Now, did I read somewhere that you hold two world records? Was that was that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, I got a couple.
1: I've <laughs> <laughs> got a couple. You've you got to share with our listeners what these world records are. What what, what are these all about?
2: <laughs> uh, so, you know, just along my path of, like I said, looking at the mountains as an oversized gymnastics foam pit, I've been lucky enough to kind of cultivate this strange skill set I found that I had, obviously, through a strange uh, I mean, I could go on and on about how I became the cliff guy, but in the ski scene, um, I'm, I'm really known for routinely kind of being the only guy really that hits a uh, hundred foot plus cliffs routinely. And it's weird. I feel like I've just found this cheat code and I don't quite understand why other people haven't because a few other skiers have came along and, you know, hit a couple here and there, but you know, I probably have 30, 40. Hundred plus foot cliffs under my belt, and the world records are uh, the biggest cliff with an invert. So I did a front flip off a two hundred ten foot cliff in Switzerland.
1: Holy cow! <laughs> I don't
2: know it, it sounds absurd. It, it is absurd, but
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it <laughs> is. That's true.
2: <laughs> but the, the kind of the path I've taken to, to be able to do that safely and confidently is sane. the the path is sanity. It's not insanity. I promise. Um, it's definitely not Mountain Dew culture that we're all used to seeing. It's for me, uh, you know, very, uh, hyper awareness, very meditative, very sense of artistry to it, uh, relationship to, to the mountains and to be there to share in those kind of energies in the mountains, not dominate them. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very magical transformation. Basically, that I go through to achieve that sense of heightened awareness that I do know with my being hundred percent purely and holy that I'm gonna be okay when I do these things um, and it's it's profound it's it's wild when I read like interviews of uh, monks and where they can take their consciousness that I know it because i I get a visit that, and obviously I access it through flirting with the edge of my mortality with cliffs that should be impossible, but uh, it's all clear. And I I find that I get into that headspace that I've only heard really monks talk about. And that's how calm I get and how in tune I get with my surrounding, who I am, the environment, you know, the cosmos. It's a very shared sense of energy with my surroundings. Um, And- uh, You're
0: one with the universe, it sounds like. What's that? Just- it sounds like you're at one with the universe when you're in that space.
2: hundred percent. I definitely no longer have ownership on I. It's it's I'm a part of uh, everything around me at, at, during a, when I do do those things.
0: Did it take a while for you to reach that feeling? I mean, I can imagine training in something like skiing, especially when you're doing the cliffs and everything. I mean, did you get hurt or ever hit a point where you were kind of nervous and you're like, I should probably quit? I mean, what? <laughs> What keeps motivating you and pushing you <laughs> besides the besides the feeling of of oneness that you can achieve, right, yeah, and you know world records and being awesome and all that stuff like what's the what's the why behind it?
1: Well,
2: it's a great question, and actually, a really serious injury led me to kind of the mental acuity to make better decisions that ultimately led me to making decisions to hit cliffs. Um, So early on in my ski career, kind of the first year I had sponsors, I was just really sure of my abilities and I'd, you know, get into whatever I was trying to do and 99%, that was kind of like my, I can do this 99%. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) And Those 1% would happen every once in a while, but I'd usually miraculously real time make some kind of crazy recovery or I'd have a fantastic crash and just brush myself off and keep going at a 99%. And then um, this was, you know, when I was hitting at the biggest, maybe 30, 40 foot cliffs and just skiing highly technical lines routinely, big lines, fast and, you know, a lot of close calls. And I was okay with it. And then one, one day, the first year, I had a bunch of sponsors. I was took uh, my preseason training super seriously. I was skiing so well, day one of this particular year. Um, I'd never felt better on my skis. And I was at Snowbird. And uh, I lined up kind of this really technical kind of double stager, cliffy line thing. It wasn't just a cliff. It was like really technical area that I had to get through. And I lined it up and I nailed it. And I, to me, I was like, wow, this, for me to ski something like this and have the comfort and the strength, usually this is like a mid-season kind of line I pull off. But there I was day one of the year. I felt so good skiing all day long. I came back to that line later on in the day, didn't focus on exactly what I needed to do. I just took you know everything for granted. I'm, I'm skiing awesome. I got this. And I rolled into it, didn't have it all figured out, and I screwed up and I got sent over my handlebars. So I was falling chest forward and I could see all these rocks passing underneath me because I kind of fell off this second part of the cliff through this highly rocky, crazy area. And I like outstretched my body and uh, clipped my hip on the rocks and crashed face down. And Mm. right away I just grabbed my hip and I was like, Oh my God, like that hurt so bad. I, ouch, you know, And I I rolled over onto my back and my leg was draped across my body and my boot was up by my head. So I, Mm. I, I, yeah. Mm. So I had this Mm. wet noodle of my entire leg draped across my chest and my boot was up by my head and I grabbed my whole leg and, you know, took the wet noodle and put it, you know, I aligned it the way it should be, and like packed snow all around it. And, you know, in those five seconds, all I could think of was like, okay, you need to get your leg aligned and then you need to take a deep breath and move your toes. Cause I was like, you might have, you know, you might be paralyzed right now. You need to move, can you move your toes? And I I could, I could move my toes. And so I was like, okay, sweet. <laughs> That's great. I'm like, and if I start losing consciousness right now, that means I have an internal, you know, sever of my femoral artery or whatever. Cause something, I mean, my leg is so broke and it's way up by my hip socket. So I'm like, and
0: you were thinking all of this at that time while you were going through it.
2: Oh, yeah. I was just so alert because I knew I needed to be alert to see my way through that major of an injury.
0: You're like the doctor that uh, was in Antarctica and performed his own uh, appendicitis (laughs) surgery or something
1: like
0: that's insane that you could be that clear in that moment well
2: i just knew i had to be i I knew every second was precious you know and he had to
0: i mean yeah yeah
2: and i was like okay if you start losing consciousness that's it you have an internal whatever and this is going to be it and so you know a couple minutes went by and by then my friend started showing up because they found their way to where I would crashed and uh, started calling for help. And I was still very alert. And I'm like, okay, sweet. It looks like I didn't sever an artery. It looks like I can move my toes. I'm like, I definitely have like broke my hip, my femur, my everything, who knows, you know, down there. I'm like, but at least I can move my toes. And it doesn't appear as though I'm going to die right now. (laughs) And so they got me down to the clinic took an x-ray and i shattered my femur in 11 pieces and
0: oh wow yeah
2: even the mri showed that quite a few of those bone fragments came within millimeters of nicking my femoral artery so that was pretty surreal to sit down with the doctor and have him clearly show me just how many of those you know four or five of the pieces were within millimeters of nicking my femoral artery so
0: like how close you came to possible death. Yeah,
2: exactly. Basically. And so, yeah, you know, that happened in late November and they did a very successful um, titanium rod down my femur surgery. And, you know, I'd never taken anything more serious in my life than the physical therapy to obviously get back to just first things first, walking and get full range of motion and you know we'll worry about the rest later, but I mean I was so dedicated. I was in the physical therapy place five days a week, plus doing my own like um stationary biking. I was eating super well. I was going to like a chiropractor or uh, massage therapist. I was doing Reiki and Rolfing and eating well. I wasn't drinking. I was just so focused wow. on like visualizing blood like flowing to the bones and just everything I could think of to holistically heal that whole process. So anyway, they they were like, you probably won't ski for <laughs> at least a couple of years. Oh, wow. And we'll, who knows if you get back to where you were. So I can go on and on. But I ended up skiing that spring. So I got hurt in November. I skied that April. And throughout that summer, again, baby steps trained my butt off to by the next winter, I was 100% range of motion, strength, everything. And I started skiing a lot again and I had a real honest conversation with myself. And it was, if you're going to keep going down this path, which I did because I loved it. I, I mean, it was unquestionable. I just loved skiing. I loved uh, everything about it. But I was like, you have to make a promise to yourself that if you're not 100% sure about what you're about to do, you don't do it, Period. Like if there's even a hair in your body that there isn't something you're not one hundred percent about, you walk away every time. And so that protocol and that intimate relationship with consequences I learned from shattering my femur, led me down this strange path of you know getting back on my feet and starting to you know ski at a high level again. And I found that I was starting to be attracted to cliffs more than I ever had because I could wrap my head around it. To me, it was very like static. I was like, okay, you can go into a landing and spend as much time as you want and probe, look at landings in the summer to learn where the boulders are. And I started learning about snow depths and how up towards the top of the mountain, if there's a hundred inch base up where the cliffs are, there's typically 150 to 250 inches of snow we're talking 15 to 30 feet of snow on top of boulders, trees, all those kinds of things that could be down in the landings. But all these landings, typically, from where I was looking, there there weren't boulders, there weren't trees, because that's obviously part of the protocol. You have to know what you're jumping into. And then the sheerness of the cliff, and then the takeoff. You know, If, if those three parameters are super clean and easy to interpret, then I was like, you know, started trying 40 footers and 45 footers. And then, you know, another year went by. There's this one skier at the time. His name was Jamie Pierre. He's also a Utah guy. He moved out here from Minnesota and he, he cracked the code. He was in all the movies at the time doing, you know, 80 to 150 foot cliffs routinely. And I was just mesmerized. I was like, Hey, if this dude figured it out, (laughs) I can figure it out. Like, what did he figure out that I'm missing? Because anytime you're around a cliff over 50 feet, even a 50 foot cliff, it is terrifying. It's always super scary, you know? And I don't, I just couldn't wrap my head around how he was consistently doing these big cliffs. And it was, it was, uh, I was so, you know, attracted to it that I finally had this aha moment. And, I went up into Wolverine Cirque that he pioneered this beautiful 150-foot cliff up there that's in between uh, Alta and um, Brighton up in the Cottonwoods. And I went up there in the summer and I sat on the end of his cliff and just like hung out, you know, meditated. Just kind of wanted to – I wanted to be in that space and just feel – what it, What it feels like to be in those kinds of places because I'm like if you're gonna be pursuing being in these kinds of places, probably the more time you can spend in these kinds of places, you might find some insight. So I went up there in the summer and I was just chilling out, trying not to think about much. I just wanted to be there, and it finally hit me. I was like, holy crap, I've hit hundreds of cliffs that are thirty to forty feet, I'm like and I'm in the air for maybe a second, a second and a half I'm like all I need is like a half a second or maybe one second of composure. Because if I'm in the air for a second for to hit a 50-foot cliff, if I'm in the air for just one more second, that's going to equate to at least 50 more feet, if not 70 more feet. And if I know the landing's good, if I can just stay composed for one more second in the air, that's it. Um, And so obviously I was like so excited for the next winter because I wanted to implement this kind of aha insight that I had of just one more second of exposure of composure would lead down what I saw as cracking the code that this guy, Jamie Pierre had figured out. And so the next winter came around. It was a huge winter. It was probably, you know, mid, mid January or so. And we were across the street from Alta and Snowbird up in, uh, Cardiac, or sorry, Cardiff. And we were skiing some sunrise powder just for some nice general ski photography for powder skiing. And then, as we got some great shots in the morning, we were making our way down on the lookers right of Hellgate. And I happened to come across this big cliff. And I was able to study the landing, study the takeoff. And I, you know, it's probably about a 90 foot cliff. And it was going to be, you know, roughly double the size of anything I'd ever done. And it was like, okay, here's the time to implement that, that composure that you've been talking about and thinking about and have fell in love with. And I got to the edge of the cliff and just alarm bells, you know, pure heart rate spike, just everything in my being said, get out of here. And I just was like, okay, next time next time. And then I just, I just realized right then I was like, okay, this is always going to be scary. Like you're either going to stare this, you know, in the eye and think about the fear, sit with your fear and realize this is scary, but can you do it? And can you, can you see on the other side of the fear, you know? And so I sat with my heart rate. I sat with that fear until I could see it for what it was. It was a scary cliff. It it was going to take a lot of courage and mental kind of uh, fortitude to calm myself down to, yes, realize this is scary, but also realize, yes, you have the skills to do this. You know the landing is good, and you know you can do this. You know you can, and you need to just calm down and understand that this is scary, but it's still possible. And so over about a 40-minute process of, uh, you know, sidestepping the end run, looking down. I hiked down to the landing a couple times and just probed and thought about everything and just made sense of it all. And then I got back up onto the takeoff. And um, finally, I was like, yeah, I, I transcended that fear. I, I entered this realm of pure awareness. Like I said, I was now beyond like when people say they visualize what they're about to do. I mean, I just, I had lived it. I knew what I was going to do. I just knew I could do it. And I was completely on the other side of that fear, which was so profound. I can't even tell you. So anyway, I ended up uh, getting to like, you know, 30 seconds out and I'd never met that Jamie Pierre guy. And of all people in the back country, who comes skiing up when I'm like 30 seconds ready to go? Jamie Pierre. <laughs> and he's, okay. yeah, he came yep. out to practice too. It was so bizarre. <laughs> and he's like, that's hey, awesome. Man. And he like kind of saw what I was doing. And he's like, uh, and he was super cool. He like realized I'd already gone through the whole process of figuring everything out. And he's like, um, sick. He's like, uh, do you mind if I hit it after you? And I was like, of course, man. <laughs> and so It was really cool that, you know, I guess I saw it as like a good omen that he just showed up out of nowhere. And uh, I I calmed myself down because I was already on the other side of fear, called in the the 10 seconds on the radio and the photographer and the filmer were all set up down there and, you know, hit the cliff, uh, executed it perfectly. I was composed and the landing because I was so relaxed and I was so profoundly aware of what I was doing. When I hit, it was like the softest landing I'd ever hit. Like I did not feel a thing and I was skiing away, pull off to the side. And I was just laughing because I'm like, oh my God, there is not a limit. If you can mentally get a hold of the situation from here on out on cliffs, physically physically, I just cracked the code and I cannot wait to see if I can get on the other side of fear on more cliffs way bigger than this one. And so that year and the next year and the year after that, you know, I hit that 210 footer. I did 140 footer in a contest, which is a world record too. That one in Wolverine, I hit four times in one year. I did a front flip, a back flip, a straight air, and I did a huge ass spread eagle I held forever. Wow. And from that point on, you know, the last 10, 12 years, I've, you know, followed that protocol of a hundred percent or you walk away. And I've had to quite a few times. And that's pretty hard when you're out on these big productions with, you know, other professionals that only have so many days they can be productive themselves. Um, so we have to choose wisely to be productive. But it's great to work with guys that when they have had to see me walk away. They all just give me a hug and they're like, oh man, it's so awesome to see you be able to make a decision like that and not feel pressured into anything, you know? And so it's a weird path that I have. And like I said earlier, when I say that I've done a 210 foot cliff, it is so absurd. When I see the pictures, it's all absurd. But when I'm in the moment, it all makes sense. Um, I have 2010 eyesight so I can see the ground in detail. I can just make sense of it all. But then obviously when I'm not in like that kind of crazy meditative state, and then I see the results every time, always, it's like, I cannot believe I'm that guy. How in the world did I become the cliff guy? It's crazy.
0: Have you ever looked at a picture of yourself and gone? Oh, that is so dangerous.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Every time.
2: Every time. But that's that's, that's like the... Your
1: poor mother. I know.
0: know. (laughs) (laughs) Your mom needs a lot of hugs.
2: <laughs> but that's what I was saying earlier. Since I've been on that edge of mortality and did almost die, I profoundly understand the consequences. So,
0: um, and you know what you want?
2: Yeah. And so, like I said, there's there's no Mountain Dew driving my ambitions. There's no pound my chest. It's a I, I understand the stakes, and I love life. I want to li- I want to live a long, healthy life. Um, I'm in love with life and, uh, to, to routinely do things that are so dangerous. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely something I'm hyper aware about.
1: That's so awesome. We need to, uh, switch directions. We've got a few salt Lake city related questions that we ask everybody that comes on the show here, Julian. So I'm excited to ask you, especially since you grew up here, you know, we have family and friends that visit us from time to time. I'm sure throughout the years, you've had family and friends come to town to visit you. And they're like, show me around town. Give me a tour. I'm curious what the Julian tour is like. Do you have like an area of town or buildings or a hike or the mountains? Like, where do you take people when you want to show off the area?
2: Oh, it's a great question. Um, I usually love to take people on Jack's Peak. Okay. And that's the one obviously up behind the H-Rock um, because it's, I still feel like a really great hike. Um, and you still get an awesome view, but it's actually really not that big of a hike. It's only maybe two and a half miles around trip and you get a thousand vert, but you get up way high, you get to see the Valley and the entire city. And then afterwards, I usually like to go to the Bayou for a beer. Um, cause obviously they have a great beer menu there. Um, uh, maybe some live music and then, uh, probably cruise to stone ground or porcupine or maybe what's the place called Lake effect. That's a new one. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. There's so many cool spots in Salt Lake, but I'd say Jack's peak Bayou, Lake effect. How about that?
1: Awesome. If you could change one or two things about Salt Lake city, what would you change? Like let's say you had the ability to change a couple things in however you want to You're interpret that, whether it's a big thing or a little thing.
2: I would, Time the lights better. I get so frustrated okay. when you are sitting at a red light, goes green, and then you go half a block and the next light turns red. You're like, who didn't figure out the lights here? That That's what I changed. But other than that, nothing. Salt so Lake's the best.
1: Right on, right on. Dude, I've had such a blast talking with you tonight. And I'm so glad that like we connected to bring you on the podcast and connect with you that way. And I know we just kind of skimmed the surface like right with everything. And I know there's probably like so much more we could talk about and everything.
0: I know, I had to resist (laughs) asking questions.
1: (laughs) Before we do completely wrap this up, is there anything that you were hoping we would talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about?
2: No, I think think we nailed it, man. I think I can't stress enough that I was born in the Az. I'm a native Salt Laker, and I travel the world. And people ask where I'm from. I just I love waving the Salt Lake flag proudly. I, I love this place. I can't I can't think of growing up in any other kind of place. It's been home base uh, my whole life. It's the coolest city, the best mountains, best best proximity, best international airport. Uh, I got so much love for Salt Lake, and it's so cool to see what you guys are doing by showing off a lot of the personalities that live in this amazing town. So I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and and thanks for just being like a genuine badass ambassador for how cool our city actually is.
2: (laughs) Hell yeah. I think
0: that's great. When people say,
2: you know, do you have paved roads? What's up with the alcohol laws? I, (laughs) I usually say, yeah, I don't know. I mean probably i don't know <laughs>
0: like,
1: I, I don't drink we've gotten know?
0: phone calls like do they have bottled water over there
1: yeah. uh <laughs> yep
0: mm-hmm, we have bottled water how can
1: <laughs> how can listeners connect with you man like your websites and stuff like that like for discreet and for for everything you got going um on.
0: you
2: can find me on all the facebooks and i have a website for all three of those or just instagram okay. there's you know the circ series instagram discreet and julian carr so there's a website for all three and facebook for all three
1: Awesome. And I'll put those uh, links at IamSaltLake.com as well with this episode. Chrissy has a final question that she asks everybody, Julian. So I'm going to let her ask the question again. Thank you for doing the show. We'll have to catch up like a year or two down the road, see what you're up to. I like
2: it, man. Thank you.
0: Yeah, for real. This was so inspirational and fun. Thank you. Um, Before we let you go, though, can you leave our listeners with a motto or a piece of life advice that you live by or that you wish everyone else would live by?
2: I would say find your footing I always like to say that uh, there's like, I, I think curiosity is amazing. And I think that if you can just find your footing, you know, and at least start to find the, the earth beneath, beneath your feet with whatever you're curious about. Um, That's just better than being a spectator. You know, I think there's a time to spectate and there's a time to participate. And I think that um, when you can get that earth beneath beneath your feet and become a participator and not just a spectator, and whatever your interests are, I feel like uh, you grow as a person and whatever ideas that you have start to have a life behind them.
0: Thank you again to Julian Carr for joining us on this episode of the podcast. If you want to follow Julian, all of the links that we talked about in this episode will be in the show notes on our website at IamSaltLake.com slash 461. So we're also actually going to put an amazing video on with those show notes on our website. So you have to go and check it out.
1: Hey, before we mention our Patreon supporters, because it's the first episode of the month, I want to talk about weekly wins, because that's what we're going to focus on here in December for I Am Salt Lake Podcast is weekly wins.
0: I'm liking mixing it up a little yeah, bit, you know, like I, have I some so. gratitude, brag a little or feel good about something, you know, recommend something. Yeah. So what's, yeah. Your, what's your weekly
1: win, Chrissy? Okay.
0: My weekly win is, it's kind of still like advice for everybody too. Yeah. took you out for your birthday dinner. Yeah. And- the the waitress was so amazing. I just I wanted to tip her and I tipped more than I would usually tip. And it made me feel really good, which so that's my weekly win. I've been trying to tip people more. And and uh, I think everybody should. I mean, I know that I really I personally and I know you do. We advocate for small businesses, small business, small business, small business. But I really also want to advocate for everybody because they who's need a job. Hard.
1: I mean, they got right. Christmas is coming up. Yep. You know, yep. Because it's they, a hard year. Yeah. This is the
0: hardest time of the year in the hardest year. People who are serving you at restaurants and working hard or helping you fix your car or you know, tip everybody, give them a smile and a hug and a high. I, I oh, love oh, that. No, not those. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, so my weekly win. It's my birthday, like I mentioned at the or well, like Chrissy mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast. Forty three years old. I came out like a bandit this year for my birthday, though. I woke up, you had a little scavenger hunt for me with awesome gifts. I mean, gosh, you got me slippers and barbecue stuff and a red apron. That was books. so much
0: fun. I love making oh, stuff like man.
1: that. Oh, man. Seriously, the best birthday. Aww. Best birthday ever. 43 hey. years old. Who would have thought I would have made it this far, though?
0: Like I said, you're like a fine wine. You just keep getting better.
1: <laughs> now it's time to give love to our Patreon supporters, Chrissy. And we have a new Patreon supporter. Uh, before I mention her name and give her thanks, though, I want to mention to everybody listening, We would love it if you would become a Patreon supporter, even for as little as a dollar. It helps keep this podcast going, helps out. I mean, we're helping the community out. So look at it as helping the Salt Lake City community out. Go to patreon.com slash I am Salt Lake. You can become a supporter for as little as a dollar. Let's run down this list of supporters. So Jen Seals, she's our newest Patreon supporter. She was actually in one of my most recent podcast classes. Oh. So, Jen, thank you so much. Hopefully you can get your podcast started. I'd love to listen to it when you get that started. Uh, Mark Copeland is another one of our supporters. Nick Naylor, Brett Schmidt, Todd Bjorklund, Tim Horand, Michelle Stevens-Williams, Christopher A. Heiser, Brandon Hill, Alex Santee, Jay Chambers, Sana, John Miller, Brittany Hemingway, Eric Tomorrow, Nicole Davison, Three Irons SLC, Nikki Line from New Zealand, and actually Ryan Prince is a Patreon supporter again. I don't know (gasps) if I mentioned that before. Welcome
0: back, Ryan. We missed you. I feel like you're just listing off all of my friends. Well, that's that's my favorite thing about are, the Patreon. You know? list. No,
1: you know, and, and what I love about them is they're all active in our Facebook community. Yeah, well, most of them. They're, they're not. I guess they're not all there, but a lot of them are active in our Facebook community.
0: Mm-hmm. And we haven't had a chance to meet everybody in person, but it feels like we really know each other. Yeah, it's yeah. So no, this fun. this
1: podcast, uh, we we've built a, a really cool little community. A little we have some cool, cool community. people
0: to talk to and hang out with.
1: Yeah. So uh, many thanks to our Patreon supporters, and uh, yeah.
0: Don't forget, you can always visit our website at IamSawLake.com to listen to the entire back catalog of episodes. And remember, we're putting a video of Julian doing the 210-foot fall jump.
1: Whatever so it is, bonkers whatever. jump.
0: Those are a lot of words I don't. I get individually, but not together.
1: It's cool. They're on the website, so go <laughs> check it out. And if you have a friend that you think might enjoy the podcast, make sure to share it with them because, you know, they might like this podcast too. You guys have a great week. Get out and enjoy the city, support local, and we're going to see you on the next episode of I Am Salt Lake Podcast.
0: And good night, Grammy.